Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, uh, welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickman, and um, it's still the morning. We've got uh, Clinton Turley here from St. Louis at the law firm of McCollin, Barrett, and Bartolos. Good morning. Good morning. It's, uh, you missed the first one just by a hair. It's McCollin, Barrett, and oh, Bartolos. Oh, McCollin. What did I say? M- McCollin. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I left out the S. All is good. All right. Good. Uh, anyway, uh, good, good morning there. And you're, and you're in St. Louis, right? I am. Very nice. Um, so, uh, latte with a lawyer. You still drinking coffee? What's your morning beverage to get started? Uh Normally, just regular old drip Folgers coffee, sometimes with cream. But this morning, I've got black. Nice. Is that it? oh so Folgers really not so you're just basic, just pretty basic guy. Nothing fancy for me. All right. Does that describe your background and the way you grow? No, I mean I'll I'll, I'll go out of my way sometimes to get a uh, espresso somewhere. But when I'm bringing coffee from home uh, in my thermos, I just kind of do drip coffee. Got to go. Where Where are you from originally? I'm from Kansas City originally, and I actually practiced law there for for six years before I moved to St. Louis uh, in June of 20. How far is it distance-wise from Kansas City to St. Louis? So, uh, three and a half hours if you drive straight through, but if you have a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old, <laughs> it takes about five hours. <laughs> that's great. Uh, so it's it's not that far. Okay, so that that's yeah. a logical move for people. Yeah, I I was actually there twice in the last uh, about five days, so. Okay, good. Family, I'm sure. Yeah, and uh, my office, uh, my firm is actually um, based originally out of Kansas City. We have 13 attorneys uh, in Kansas City, two in Columbia, Missouri, which is the midpoint between KC and St. Louis. And then I'm the only one here in this office so far. Okay, okay. You're basically following the the University of Missouri, right? All the different locations they have. That's right. Right? That's right. Yeah. Columbia is the, uh, the flagship, right? I know this St. Louis, Kansas City. There's one more though, right? Yeah, there's one down in Rolla, which is about um, an hour and a half or so southwest of St. Louis. Got it. I know that from my experience in uh, higher ed, so I I knew where all the universities were. Got it. But anyway, so so tell us about the uh, kind of law that you practice. So we're essentially a, an insurance defense litigation and trial firm. Okay. Um, do a lot of personal lines, auto coverage. Um, car accidents, things like that, uh, commercial lines, trucking work, homeowners and business owners policies as well. Uh, most of it is personal injury work, although we have some, you know, corporate disputes uh, and things of that nature, some land disputes, but a lot of it's personal injury defense work. Okay. Per- like trucking? Yeah, we do some, yeah, a lot of trucking um, and personal line stuff too. Big cases? I, I know that's what insurance companies are always afraid of, right? The big nuclear verdict yeah that's uh we we do have uh, quite a few big cases involving uh trucking accidents that's where you, you're going to see most of your you know catastrophic damages and, and uh, wrongful death cases yeah 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 so um any are you working on any of these days i mean i know that there's tons of those yeah so I, we're actually involved in a uh, amtrak um derailment case right now um that's still pretty early. I mean, we haven't even started discovery. Um, it just mm-hmm. happened in June of this year in Missouri. Um, so that's probably from my end, uh, kind of the biggest, most involved case that I'm on right now. 
Okay. And you're hired by the insurance company or the, uh, yeah, retained, yeah. Retained by an insurance company for a business owner. Oh, I see. I see. And is that typically how you get your work? Yeah. It's yeah, probably, uh, I would say over, I mean, for my individual practice, almost a hundred percent of my work is insurance referred. Um, and, and we do some, what I call first party work where we're representing the actual insurance company instead of the insured driver or homeowner or whatever it may be. Um, some of the other attorneys in our firm have some additional um, practice areas that they do private retention stuff. Okay. And you, is everybody on the defense side? Yeah. Okay. Just a hundred percent defense. Well, yeah, we, so one of our attorneys, uh, a partner in our Kansas city office, she does some employment work um, and, and she used to do some plaintiff stuff, but it's kind of trended more defense now. Okay. So, um, Interesting. So how did you get there? Like, how did you get to where you are now? What Tell us that story. Yeah. So my um, mom is a personal injury paralegal for a plaintiff's firm in Kansas City. Uh, so the exact opposite side of what I do. But sure. I grew up kind of watching her involvement in the law. And uh, if she didn't have kids, she would have been a great lawyer, but she focused on her family instead. So she settled into a pretty good paralegal role at a, at a firm she's been with for over 20 years now. And that's how I kind of got involved in the law. Um, following her uh, interest in, I think. And my dad, for his part, um, is a, is great at debating, although he uh, took up uh, construction work, uh, didn't really jive in the college setting, so to speak. Sure. Um, and so I went to uh, undergrad in law school at Mizzou in Columbia. Um, I started clerking for this firm uh, my second year. Um, and I, it's the only job I've ever had as a in the legal field um, outside of law school. And so I went to Kansas City. I worked there for six years. My wife is from St. Louis. And so probably about four years into that practice, I kind of started discussing with my firm, maybe opening up a new office here. And so I moved to St. Louis in June of 2020 and opened up a new office for our firm. Oh, okay, cool. Why Why did you not go on the plaintiff side? How'd you end up? I mean, was it just because you got a job? Well, yeah. And maybe just kind of more my personality. And that's where my, you know, interest was at, at the time I got hired by a pretty good firm. Our firm uh, does a lot of, a lot of trial work. Um, yeah. They kind of let you just throw you right into things uh, even as a pretty young attorney. And so when I met the founding partner of our firm, I was clerking for a judge um, and I got to know him pretty well and it, it, everything just kind of fell into place. And as, as you know, enough people probably told you when you have a job offer your third year of law school before it starts, it's Thank just cruise right into it. So. Yeah, yeah. But when you, you made an interesting comment, it was your personality. What is it about your personality that's more defense versus plaintiff? Uh, probably just the way I analyze things, I think. Um, I, I think I could do plaintiff's work if I wanted to, but yeah. I'm kind of settled in, um, you know, eight years, nine years into this. <laughs> that's not long. You no, long it's not long. And I, I mean, there's people who, I mean, I know defense lawyers who switch after 20, 25 years. So who yeah. knows what the future holds, but I'm uh, pretty settled into to my firm now. So. Okay, good. And you like it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, I mean, how do you, I mean, listen, when you're, it's kind of like in sports, right? You're on defense as opposed to offense. So, and, and the offense got all the, uh, all the tricks and the, and the tools and, you know, and, and you're trying to be a defensive player. What what tools do you use to prepare yourself so you guys come out on top or you know minimize damages like this big uh, case you got coming? Yeah, so not necessarily on that case, but in general, 
you make a good point that when we get a case, the plaintiff's lawyers already had it for six, eight, 12, 15 months, maybe, you know, yeah. they've been working with their client as they're treating with their, you know, uh, medical providers, and they've worked up some background investigation. And, and of course, the insurance company was involved. But as lawyers that are retained by the insurance company, we don't get involved normally, um, probably 70% of the time until suits been filed. Right. So you're kind of behind the game a little bit, um, trying to play catch up. And I think one of the ways outside of an individual case to stay ahead of the game, if you can, and I was actually doing this this morning on a listserv on a defense bar that I'm part of, is to talk with other attorneys in the in the defense bar community uh, about other about plaintiffs experts and um, trends in the law and, and to stay above all of that so that you know right away and you're not spending your time doing research that you could have done prior to the case even coming in. Got it. But you got, you must be in uh, the court all the time, right? I would imagine. Yeah, I can uh, see the courthouse out, out of my window <laughs> here, which is nice. Okay. I can just walk down to the courthouse. Um, so, yeah, well, that was true certainly two years ago. It's a lot different now. Uh, a lot of judges are trending towards um, Zoom hearings and, and status conferences if you're only there for 10 or 15 minutes for a scheduling. But I think the judges are starting to like to see the attorneys back in the courthouse, too, for uh, contested motions and, and things like that. And it's good to, to see people face to face, whether it's a opposing counsel, um, just to be professional with and, and work with them. It's so much easier than having a hostile relationship. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, Zoom has certainly uh, eliminated a lot of the the sort of the, the simpler mechanics of law. Right. But what about, you know, you, uh, what about jury trials? Are you getting to do jury trials again? So I've done one since the pandemic um, that I tried in February of this year in Kansas City. It was an old case that I had when I was still in the Kansas City office that really just got delayed because of COVID. Uh, and then I've worked up a couple of other ones. Uh, one, I was again in Kansas City and we were the I, weekend of before trial, I think, or maybe the Thursday or Friday before trial. And the plaintiff's testifying expert um, doctor came down with COVID himself. And so mm -hmm. that got continued. So, but I did try one in February and I've got a probably three set, three or four set in the, in the first few months of next year. Okay, good. And, and are those big cases? I mean, what, what kind of. I, yeah, I have one that's a wrongful death case uh, set in federal court um, involving a highway accident. Um, and so that's probably the bigger one I have set in the first part of next year. Some of the other ones are more soft tissue damage disputes. Okay. So the big one, they have wrongful death, which could be a lot of uh, damages at stake there. How are you going to get ready for that? What's your process? Well, I mean, the process starts, you know, before the case even comes in really, or right when you get it. And so one thing that I do to help myself stay ready is I keep a, a specific word document in my electronic file that's just called trial. And so I just keep a running notes of, you know, motions and limited that I might want to file or themes or, or arguments that I think that the plaintiff may be developing that I need to figure out how to counter or themes or arguments that I want to develop um, quotes from testimony or doctors that I think will fit into an opening or into a cross. And so I just keep a running brainstorming log, so to speak, so that I can remain fresh on it when I come back and look at it. Okay. And how do you get ready? How do you test those arguments? How do you know they're going to work? Uh, don't talk to lawyers about them <laughs> because I mean, I'll talk, there's a couple of uh, the guys in my firm that are about my age that I'm pretty close with. And so I bounce a lot of ideas off them. 
Um, but I'll talk to my high school friends, uh, my wife, uh, my mom, I'll talk to her about because she's, you know, on the other side of it and, and kind of run things by her. Um, I've got some friends that used to be in the insurance industry um, that I'll talk to who have managed these types of cases before um, and, and people that I aren't lawyers and have nothing to do with the law because those are the people that are are sitting on your jury. Yeah. But I, I, I listen, I know on the plaintiff side, they, they do mock trials and focus groups all the time. Are you guys doing those kind of things, too? No, I, I never have. I mean, our firm may have done those before. Um, those probably aren't. I've never been involved in one now. OK. Yeah, I'm, I'm always surprised by that, though, that, uh, again, it's like, you know, it's almost like you're at a disadvantage. Right. I, it seems to me. Yeah. And I I've, I haven't really read many studies on what's the correlation between what your mock trial or focus group is giving you and what you ultimately get at trial. Um, and, and maybe there is a close correlation. Mm. But, you know, that's going to be a, a lot of the attorneys, the plaintiff side that, that, that do those mock trials and focus groups are, are firms that are very good trial lawyers and focus almost exclusively on catastrophic injury cases. OK. So if you don't prevail, right, I mean, when does it, I mean, if you go look backwards, like, when does it go wrong? Like, where do you get tripped up? Yeah, you could, um, you know, there's a couple of different things, right? So you could misread how a plaintiff is going to appear in front of a jury. They may appear one way sitting in a conference room for a deposition in a completely different way at trial. Mm. Sometimes that's to their own detriment. Sometimes it's it's to their benefit. They come in at trial and they're more well-polished and they've, thought about it a lot and, and they come across better to the jury than you thought maybe uh maybe they would um or maybe you just misread the 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 non-economic portion of a how much an injury is worth and that's kind of changing now i've i've talked to and, and read some stuff on how juries may start to evaluate damages after spending two years at home or a year and a half at home in understanding what the value of time is and the value mm -hmm. of spending time with your family. Um, it, it may change things. I don't know that there's been a trend set quite yet, but there's some speculation that that might happen. Yeah. It seems to me that uh, verdicts are getting higher. Maybe it has something to do with that, that period of time. It could be. So that's, that's a bad thing for if you're on the defense side, right? It could be, but I've seen it both ways. I mean, over in Kansas city, there's this um, company that, sends out all the jury verdicts uh, in a five county area okay um every week so we get a report on what the trials were whether it's a wrongful termination or a car accident in one week there may be you know three or four high plaintiff's verdicts and then the next week there's three zero dollar defense verdicts so i i tend to have pretty good faith in the jury system and i think that once they get into that deliberation room they do mostly what's what's accurate and fair mm. So when the plaintiff side says, you know what, you know, they ask the jury to award them $5 million in a big catastrophic industry. What does the defense side do? How do you counter that? What, what, what's, what's your response to that? Well, I think, I think you have to give a counter anchor. You have to give a counter number, but it has to be realist, realistic or, or you lose a lot of credibility with, mm. with the jury. And, and you can't, you can't do it in a scoffing or mocking way because I think that people will dislike you for that. 
and so you have to be respectful about the number that you give and how you present it, the, the tone of your voice, body language, uh, and be focused on that. Even when you're sitting, you know, in chair listening and closing arguments, you can't act too surprised or shocked about a number because I think the jury is watching. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, so credibility, I mean, that's a word that comes up a lot, right? So, I mean, you if you're credible, you tend to get more support than you're not, right? Right. So how do you, how do you think you build credibility when, you, when you're in trial? Yeah, I, I think it starts with how you act even getting out of your car in the parking lot because the jurors that are showing up for jury duty that day could be parked next to you and you have no idea. Right. And so I think you've got to be respectful from that point forward and, you know, carry your head high, opening the door for people, uh, you know, being polite, um, don't act entitled. And, you know, I've seen lawyers try to cut through the line in the courthouse. Well, I'm a lawyer and I need to get in there. Well, the jury's watching you do that. And if that juror sit on your, on your jury and they've watched you do that, they're not going to, they might not tell you that. And so they've already kind of assessed you, uh, from that point forward. So I think it starts that early on. Um, and then it evolves into, you know, how you treat opposing counsel, how you treat witnesses, how you treat the court, the judge, the court staff, because yeah. the jury can see all that stuff. And, and I think that they appreciate um, somebody who's personal, you know, realistic, kind of a normal person. You don't, you know, not too, you know, out there as far as what you're wearing or, or how you're talking to them. And so it's a, it's a really a, a, a large array of things that you have to always be focused yeah. on how do you on. learn that i mean who 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 talks to that stuff who are your mentors you don't learn that in law school do you no yeah you don't learn yeah. a lot in law school i guess but um the you know the one thing my mom being a support staff at a law firm and then i clerked for a judge um in law school and so between those two things i think i learned pretty quickly who actually runs law firms and who actually runs courthouses Mm. And it's normally not the attorneys or the judges. It's a lot of help with the support staff, the court clerks. Um, and so that was one of them. And then, you know, the the lawyers in my firm, the more the older and more senior lawyers that I've tried cases with and I've had the opportunity to watch try cases, um, you, you learn it that way. And there is no better way to learn than doing uh, right. or, or at least watching. I mean, you can take depositions, but seeing an actual trial is a completely different animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, from what I understand, the... Uh... The paralegals, particularly the senior ones, they do most of the work, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they do a lot of the behind the scenes work that allows us, I think, to probably carry it forward in a creative way. Right. What what kind of like uh, technology are, are you leveraging these days for, for the practice? You know, I'm, a, I'm actually pretty basic in that regard because I will use technology, but I always have a backup because technology inevitably, inevitably fails. And so yeah. you may have a slideshow or a picture you're going to show or a video video. You have to obviously have some technology, but a picture or a document that you want to show on your computer and then the cord doesn't work or the courts systems fails. So I'm a pretty big fan of uh, blow up boards, you know, three feet by four feet big and put a picture of a car on there and, and, and you just set that up on an easel in front of the jury. And I think it feels more tangible to them oh interesting yeah or use a an yeah. elmo or a doc document cam um, to show an actual piece of paper that i can write on and, and highlight on with a witness or uh, with the jury in closing 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because I mean, there's very sophisticated stuff now with, you know, medical illustration software. I mean, right. you recreate the scene. You've probably seen some of this stuff. Yeah. And we will use those with our experts, um, liability experts, engineers, accident, reconstruction experts, and, and they'll do some of that work for us um, to help show to recreations. Yeah, but that's an interesting idea that we, what you said, I mean, to have like literally be in front of the jury and almost get them involved with like, you know, a whiteboard or drawing things for them. I wonder how that that might actually be more effective in a lot of ways. I think it feels more tangible to them and it's easier for them to read. They're focusing less on maybe squinting their eyes at, at a screen that's 30 or 40 feet away from them. Yeah where you have this easel in front of them. And so what I'll do sometimes is if there's a medical record, for example, that I, I think is really important, I'll blow up just a portion of that medical record, highlight the, the two sentences that I really like and put that on a, on a, a whiteboard or, a, you know, blow up. And so that medical record itself may be exhibit 133. And then this whiteboard just becomes 133A uh, and it becomes a subset of that exhibit so that the jury can really see the, the, important part of what I'm trying to describe for them. And I may use that to interact with a witness also uh, and set it up in front of the, the witness box so that the jury can see it at the same time as the witness. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I've heard people say this about, you know, just trying to really simplify the argument to a couple of core issues, maybe just one issue, right. And focus on that as opposed to making it too complicated. Yeah. And I think that's certainly true by the time you get to closing arguments, because in closing arguments, you know, some people want to make sure they talk about all 94 facts that have been discussed in the trial, and the jury just does not have the attention span for that. Right. Um, and they've ultimately, they've they've heard the evidence drone on for two, three, four, five days. And I think at the time you get to your closing, you have to pick three high-level issues. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, th that's interesting. I mean... I mean, it's almost like that with anything. I mean, focus is really kind of the key, right? Right. And, and attention span. I mean, people, there's only so much you can digest and get your head around. Yeah, that's very true. For right. Juries. I mean, a lot of them don't want to be there to begin with. So, I was just, I, I was just uh, selected. I wasn't, I, I didn't, I wasn't on a panel, but I was, I had to go to the court, and there were three panels that day. I was not selected. Right. And, uh, I probably would have been deselected anyway, but I was looking forward to actually going through the process. And just at least listening and sitting on a panel. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, my wife, my wife was uh, on a jury panel um, when she was about seven months pregnant, I think, with our first kid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know how it works. And she doesn't, I mean, I've told her before, but you really only, if you're in at least the counties that I practice in, when you have your panel, you may have 55 people in it. Um, and really the top 30, are the only ones that really matter because you don't a lot of times get deeper than that. Sometimes you will. And she, I think her panel was about 60 people and she was juror 57. And okay. I was just like, you're never going to get selected. Right. Um, especially when you say that your husband is a, is a defense lawyer. I don't think that they, yeah. a criminal case, I think, which hers was, she could have been on, but a civil defense or civil litigation case, I don't think a, a an attorney or whatever probably left her on a jury yeah i would i would, I would tend to agree so in, in your jurisdiction is it conservative liberal in between what is it there? yeah there's a couple different counties around that i practice in over here in st louis um and this it's pretty similar in kansas city too whenever you get 
I don't know that I subscribe to this school of thought completely, but the the mantra, I guess, or, or the kind of what the attorneys in the areas say is that when you have your county seats for the cities, so St. Louis City itself or Jackson County, which is the um, bigger county in Kansas City, those are going to be your more liberal. And as you spread out to the more rural areas, it gets a little bit more conservative. Yeah. And so the county that I live in and practice in is St. Louis County, which is confusingly different than St. Louis City. Um, it's kind of a, a mixed bag. Mm, got it. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. Most urban areas tend to be more liberal. Right. Right. And then you get in the country. Yeah. So I, but I, I, I know that's a that's always a a point of contention, like when you're trying to figure out the jury pool, right? Depending on where you are, you want to represent. Right. And so both true for both in Kansas City and St. Louis, with Kansas City being on the on state line of Kansas and then St. Louis being on state line of, of Illinois, the border right. there. Yeah. You get a lot of cases uh, that have a plaintiff that may be from Missouri and a defendant that may be from Kansas or from Illinois. And so you have the opportunity to remove it to federal court on a diversity basis. And that expands your jury pool pretty largely, which is one of the things that we take into consideration when removing a case. Got because you, get, you go from a, a single county to, you know, the entire district of the, of that, of whatever federal court you're practicing in at that point. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, and your practice, is it just uh, regional or you have a national practice? No, just regional uh, for now, at least. But um, we have attorneys licensed in Kansas, uh, Missouri, Illinois, technically Colorado, although we don't do any practice there, and then uh, pending applications in uh, Iowa. Okay, got it, got it. But the same, so I see, I see you work for a big insurance carrier. They have, they've got regional lawyers in that in that area. Right. Yeah. And you probably get referrals, I would imagine, from the other attorneys too, right? That are that are also working for that same insurance carrier. You mean like across the country or in yeah. my Yeah. Yeah. And you might be local counsel um here and there or or get a referral or on a conflict or something like that too. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um so just uh having gone through this yourself and uh you know, obviously you had an influence from your, your mother. What would you say to a young lawyer thinking about law school or give them any advice on what, what path to follow? I'm a big believer in, in doing practicum style work outside of the classroom, you know, getting involved in whether that's preparation of, of transactional documents, if that's the kind of stuff that you're into or during trial, some sort of trial clinic work. Uh, and really just diversifying your exposure so that you can find what it is that you do like. Because even what, I mean, even having been an interest in the law for my entire, you know, childhood, I thought everybody went to law school and became a trial attorney. And, mm. and obviously that's not true. Um, right. and there's, you know, I graduated probably 140 something people in my class and, and maybe 15 of us do trial work. Oh, okay. Um, you know, there's a lot of tax professionals, a lot of mergers and acquisition, transactional people, in-house people. And so I think just exposure is the best way. I mean, getting outside of the law school and, and talking to people in the community um, and in the legal field about their work and what kind of stuff they do. And if it interests you and you can sit in and watch them do what they do and see if it, if it interests you. Yeah, no, I hear a lot of the uh, a lot of you guys will work for a public defender to get some experience mm -hmm. right 
or you know clerkship it's before you actually make a decision i mean that seems to be a pretty standard path for a lot of people yeah especially for trial attorneys they Probably. you know um, do public defender work or in the prosecutor's office um clerk for judge um that's gets a lot of exposure because you see all kinds of cases there all kinds yeah but you got burnout, out right it's like it's, it's hard to stay with that for for a long right. time. Right. And those are usually only, I mean, the public defender prosecutor, they'll keep you as long as they can because they're so short staffed, I think. Right. Um, but the, the clerkships are usually, as you know, probably a year or two max. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. Good. Good stuff. Well, listen, just uh, final thoughts and words you want to leave with the audience about your firm and best way to connect. Yeah. No, I appreciate you uh, having me on. It's uh, interesting. And I've listened to some of the other, um, uh, guests that you've had and it's a wide array of people and i think that's you know like i said earlier i think being involved in the legal community itself outside of just your office is a, is a great way to maintain a, a good and respectful practice um and so that's what i try to do and i'm on several committees and, and um, local bar associations and i think it helps de develop a respect in the practice and helps you develop the respect for others in the practice and so Again, my name is Clint Turley. I'm a partner at McCausland Barrett and Bartolos Law Firm. I'm in our St. Louis office, and um, you can find us at mbb-lawfirm.com. Excellent. Good. Well, thanks for uh, saying the name of your firm so I don't have to stumble over that again. But... No worries. <laughs> so this is sponsored by Emotion Track, which is a legal tech platform, and we help uh, litigators with prepare for mediation and trials. So thank you again, Clint. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and we'll let you get back to uh, defense work. Thanks, Jonathan. All right, you bet. All right, bye-bye.